Kansas voters thought they'd gained some distance between politicians and all those ads, mailers, and speeches of the 2020 election cycle. Ha! Not so fast. The next campaign season is upon us, and fans of the electoral process can expect competitive races for governor, attorney general, the U.S. House, and even state treasurer. And that's why State Representative Stephen Johnson is with us for a Kansas Reflector podcast. The Republican from Assyria, where is that, you ask? I'll let him tell you in a minute, is running for the office now held by Democratic Treasurer Lynn Rogers, who was appointed after the previous occupant decided to serve in Congress. Welcome, Representative Johnson. Thank you. Great to get to be with you. Thank you for your time. Okay, first things first, tell us about Assyria. Assaria, hometown where I grew up and live and farm currently, it is a few miles south of Salina in the middle of the state. Um, it's a small town, a little over 400 people. We were lucky to have the Great Plains manufacturing effort kind of get started in that area, uh, and that's given us some good industry in the area. And other than that, the, the church and a few other things are what are maybe known as, as things that people drive by. And of course, the Renaissance Cafe, an Italian restaurant that is there in the old high school building that is a popular spot for many that come through the area. Excellent. I'll have to put that on my list. And, and, and now a little bit about yourself. Just kind of, we'll just pretend you're giving a stump speech and you want to give the 30 second uh, bite of about who you are. Go sure. Well, I started here in this area, settled uh, by great great grandparents years ago we still get to farm on those original homesteads and uh that's that's a rich part of the experience but grew up i went to k-state at k-state i was the student body president and uh went on to work in financial services uh, i did my uh, graduate work at the university of chicago just to the master's level i got an mba in finance there and uh, that kind of set the rest of the direction that i had in financial services where i worked on building investment models to set strategic portfolios uh, and work on getting the most return you could for a given level of risk. So something that's fun to talk about for hours that people just <laughs> love to listen to. Yeah, but some people work... say I don't pay enough attention. So what were you saying? <laughs> so yeah. that work led to the legislative side then um, in, the, in the 08, 09 economic downturn where everything kind of crashed. Uh -huh. um, pensions across the nation did as well. And uh, in 2010, I looked at the CAPERS liability and those several billion dollars were a financial risk to the state and the projected contributions at the time did not meet the projected liability. So I ran for the legislature in 2011 and that was one of the things that I worked on in the legislature and um, thankfully, due to a number of entities stepping up and, and working harder uh, to, to make that work. And then some market performance since that time that has also been good. Our funded ratio has changed materially from being second to last in the nation to now in the second quartile. And you're talking about the Kansas Public Employees Retirement System, which That's has its, its status has improved over the past decade. Certainly it takes a lot of money to do that. Uh, but the $100 question is, why are you running for state treasurer and have you lost your mind? <laughs> so I don't know that I can comment on the latter one going back <laughs> to 2010 and running for the legislature. But in running for the state treasurer's position, 
that was just a good fit with both my private industry experience and the work that I've done in the legislature. I've worked on a lot of the financial issues, serving on the budget or appropriations committee, the tax committee, the pensions committee, the insurance committee. Uh, this last year in the commerce committee, we worked on the unemployment trust fund. And one of my roles there was to work with uh, the bright people in industry, as well as the administration to just figure out, okay, what are the flows that we need to come in through premiums over time to continue to maintain the funded level that we need in that fund? Well, that is something that does run through the treasurer's office also. And I think just keeping a handle on the, uh, the flows and the balances across that fund, we worked on the healthcare stabilization fund in the insurance committee this last year. I think in each of those, the experience in the legislature helps to inform what's happening in that treasurer's office. Certainly, there are a few boards that the treasurer sits on. One is the CAPERS board. One of the questions that will come up in the next term is the reamortization question. It is one that we will address at some point. And the most important to that thing is, is not only the time, but the method that is used in reamortization. And from the work with CAPERS, I have as good a handle on that as, as anyone is that, that will, will be working on that particular issue. How about um, for people who don't follow the state treasurer's office as closely as others, just kind of explain what the, the, the role of that person is, if you, if you would. Sure. So uh, the role of the person is listed as threefold with that CAPERS board, the pooled money board, and being on the committee on it says surety bonds, but it's ensuring what needs to happen for the state. And those are some of the active roles that are done uh, by the treasurer. Then the office itself has five areas. There's the administration decision that just makes sure the bills are paid, et cetera. And that one that the treasurer, I think, can take an active role in working with the budget director and the legislature on the issues that come through there. There's the municipal bond services division. And I've worked on bonding more than I expected I would, um, but I think more than most legislators would. And currently, if there's an issue in the water office or with other uh, liabilities and, and refinancing them, I'm often uh, uh, able to get involved in those conversations. The cash management division deals with the pooled money, uh, the monies in the state, the local government monies that are there, the deposits that come through on a couple of those other funds that I mentioned, like the um, uh, uh, unemployment trust fund or the healthcare stabilization fund. There's the unclaimed property division, and uh, I think that's one that people are most familiar with. And then there's the learning quest division. Yeah, it's and, a college uh, savings part, yeah. The college savings or 529 plan. And on that one, uh, when Ron Estes was treasurer, he had appointed me to the 529 advisory board uh, from the experience that I'd had in industry before. So fairly familiar with, with, uh, with those areas. Governor Kelly, a while back, appointed Lynn Rogers to the job of treasurer, despite the fact that Lynn Rogers' predecessor, Jake LaTurner, was a Republican. Jake LaTurner got elected to Congress. So essentially, the governor replaced a Republican with a Democrat and ruffled some feathers. There are people uh, that possibly unrealistically expected Laura Kelly to appoint a Republican to that statewide office. What, what do you think about that? The rules are what... what uh you're able to do, and, and that, that is the way that those non-constitutional offices are set up in terms of how they would be replaced. So 
that's the choice that we have. And, and uh, Treasurer Rogers is serving currently, and I'll be focused on who will be the treasurer in 22. So before we talk about your legislative service and some of the lessons learned there, your house district covers bits of four counties. I, I'm trying to remember the map, Saline, Ellsworth, McPherson, Rice? Correct. Yeah. Exactly so, right. so kind of what, what is that district like? What, who are your people? So it is a largely rural district. Of course, we try to come up with the same roughly 24,000 people in a district. We'll find out what the census says is in each district uh, going forward. And um, so I have all of Ellsworth County. I have the northern tier of townships in Rice County, along with one additional township that includes the town of Little River. I have one township in McPherson that includes uh, the city of Lindsborg. And then in Saline County, I have roughly the southern half of the county. And then within the city of Salina, I have three precincts. Hmm. So that's what gives the population uh, equality. And okay. uh, the largest population in the district is those three precincts in South Salina, then hmm. followed by some of the larger towns out in the more rural areas. All right, so let's talk about the Kansas House and, and how some of that work might come into play if you are elected state treasurer. Uh, you, you chaired the House Tax Committee. Uh, let's, let's, let's talk about that first. Are, are there elements of working on complex tax legislation that might benefit you in the role of state treasurer? I think the key to the tax work was the combination with being on the budget committee so that you just had a handle on the balance of flows to the liabilities that we had. And um, in the office of treasurer, while the tax policy will be relevant to those revenues, you, you don't have a handle on the tax policy. We might have some opportunities to come over and testify as anyone else would before the committees, but I think the guidance of being able to look at and anticipate the flows and how they work and, and working with the budget director and the legislative leadership is a role that uh, we could continue to take on actively in, in working with both of those issues. But I think that they're more in tandem than individual uh, as we look to the treasurer's office. Okay. You've also, you've mentioned CAPERS itself, but you've, you've worked on a committee that that handles the state pension system. Uh, let's, let's just chat just briefly about an idea that had been done before in the legislature, but it's issuing bonds to, well, essentially borrow large amounts of money, invest in the marketplace and bolster the bottom line of the pension system. You wanna talk about just a little bit of that philosophy, that idea and, and whether it was a sound public policy? Sure. So that's actually a fairly simple concept, although it sounds complicated as you get into some of the details, but essentially we have a debt to CAPERS and we owe that currently at seven and three quarters percent. That is the rate that we expect to earn on that money. The 25 year return and the three year returns are the two lowest numbers at 7.9% currently. So they're managing to achieve the objective but that's a high cost of capital. When we look to the bond market and we can borrow at say 4%, we could take some of those dollars where the market will lend it to us at that lower rate and invest it with more risk to achieve the other return over time. 
It's very different for a pension where a 30 to 50 year time frame is very normal versus you or I where a 30 to 50 year time frame is long and we don't get another one if we're not on the right side of the bet. Mm-hmm. Um, I get to let the law of averages pay, play out. And the key to that is being able to calculate the effect of time on risk and then assess whether that is something that you want to enter into. So what, what the changes did on the large one that was done in 2015, we reduced the CAPERS payment. It's the same debt. We had, we'll say, $7.5 billion in debt that we owed the employees. And that's a little, it fluctuates some based on the market, but it's something north of a billion dollars that we really owe for that. We borrowed a billion dollars and the payment on the CAPERS debt went down by 90 million and we picked up a 60 million payment on the same debt due to mostly the change in that interest rate. The interest well, rate was much lower. That is very all. confusing, but I, so, so let's just boil it down. Let's try Let's try again. The, you, you borrowed a billion dollars, you get the cash from investors, <clears throat> you work the market in the investment market, and you are making more money than the cost of borrowing. And that, we'll just call it profit, helps Capers bottom line without digging into the taxpayer's back pocket. Is that is correct. That, okay. is, that is it. So on that bond, we have made through February a little over 8.2% on the money borrowed. Mm-hmm. The rate on that one was 468 The um, So to the plus so far, you're up 4% on that money is one way to look at it. So it's, it's actually worked. It sounds... Yeah, to has, me, just borrowing a billion dollars sounds extremely risky and a terrible right. idea. But so far on that one, it, the history is good. Now, the legislature just did another five, uh, agreed to do a $500, bond, $500 million bond issue. $500 million, depending uh-huh. on what rates are when they're able to issue it. So it's subject to a cap. We're not willing okay. to go too far up. And the state- In terms of what your borrowing rate is. Right. So okay. if- if interest rates would spike, we don't want to borrow at five and a half percent to invest in the market. That that is too narrow a range to play. But if it's below four, uh, we would proceed with that issue. So the one that was done in 2015, combined with the one that was done in 2004, and mm-hmm. 2004 lived through a bad period as well as we just did in both issues last year. But through February, which was the last calculation we had on the bond issue, those had added $770 million to the CAPERS fund above the cost of debt service. So it had, had worked well through that point. And as you said, that number will continue to fluctuate, but it's got a good cushion going in. Yeah, that's astounding. So let's talk about reamortization, something that you could have a guiding hand in if, in fact, the the state decides to do this. So just explain what it is and let's see if we can work through it. Yeah, so on both of these things, you can break it down to a similar piece of our personal finance. In the case of bonding, I'd say it'd be taking my 8% credit card debt and turning it into a 4% home equity line, right? Mm -hmm. That's the difference in, in the bonding strategy. Here, we're looking at refinancing the home mortgage. 
uh, for whatever reasons there may be. The key reason to look at it in the pension world is the, the way that the uh, amortization is calculated, which really puts the weight in the last 10 years. So our payments are currently projected to grow to about a billion a year and then fall to nothing once it's paid off. And you don't necessarily need to go over that type of a cliff. At some point, you kind of level off that mountaintop and extend it a few years and, and have payments that don't all hit two or three years of the budget. The idea so is to smooth out the, to the smooth state out. government's contributions to the pension system to get through that unfunded liability, but maybe take a little bit longer uh, than is currently scheduled. And that's a reamortization process. That is the reamortization process. So then the key is, um, I have argued against those strategies that have been proposed, which back us up and put us at a point where we're letting that debt grow again in the first 10 mm -hmm. years mm -hmm. to then pay it off in the back half again. Um, I think it's important, like with the mortgage, that you continue to pay an ever so small sliver of principal. I actually wouldn't mind paying a fairly large sliver of principal, but that's the part that is negotiable, is how much do you want to continue paying off to continue to shrink the liability rather than using a calculation that puts us back where we were to grow back into the problem we had. I think it behooves the state to continue to embrace the progress we have made and to, to work that down so we don't have that drag. Of, of How do you think these issues, complex as they are, but really important, hard to get people to, it's not quite so sexy as, as uh, some stories that come out of the state house, but what do, you think it, what do you think it says about um, your, your, your capacity to handle the complex work of the state treasurer's office? Well, well, this is down the alley of what I worked with before. And then since 2011, I've been really focused on the pension work and each of the things we could do from resetting what our future liability was to resetting the contributions that were made and the timing of those. The bonding strategy is a little bit of icing on the cake. It's not a solution in itself, but it's putting that together and just looking at, again, when you break capers down, it's fairly simple. I think of it as three factors. It's dollars in, what you earn along the way, and dollars out. And what I am certain of is that equation will balance. Mm -hmm. If I mess up the dollars in, at some point, I will mess up the dollars out. And that's something that we can't afford to do. Maybe one so, way to emphasize the importance of this work is what are there, 400,000 beneficiaries of capers out there? You know, I, I have Something to like double check exactly how many we have. I think, there. well, it's hundreds of thousands of people. And, and active participants, et cetera, and 1.9 billion in benefits currently paid out each year. So mm -hmm. we need to make sure the state is in a position that we're not trying to pay that out of cash flow because it's also a growing liability. And so do you, I'm sorry, do you, do you ex expect some competition in the Republican primary? I would imagine that there are other people looking at it. I've heard some names, none have announced yet, but we'll continue to watch that. And I, I know that there is interest across the state and the party in returning the seat to Republican hands. Right, right. So in August, 2022, that's when the primary we're talking about here. So um, it could be interesting in terms of turnout because there's a constitutional amendment on abortion on the ballot. And, and so that 
whether you're for it or against it, whatever, that, that should drive turnout. And we should have a good sampling of voters' attitudes about some of these elective offices. There should be. It, it is an important issue, and it will be important for folks to uh, know that it's on the ballot and turn out to vote. So, so I agree. There, there will be a lot of attention paid uh, during the primary and, and uh, to all of the candidates that we'll have to select from on the ballot. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about something, you know, that it, sometimes it's, I think, just watching the legislature, it's a little hard for some urbanites, we'll say, Mission Hills Republicans, uh, uh, I won't name any names, uh, who, who might have ran for the United States Senate, but sometimes it's hard for people to connect with people that have very different life experiences from themselves. So somebody who lives in Cherokee County may not understand life in Leavenworth County. So, so what does city slickers not understand about the politics of farm and ranch folks? Is there a conservatism that, that is not grasped? Or what do, you, what do you think the differences are? Well, I think that the differences exist in, in pockets across the state. I don't know that it's unique urban and rural. Um, many of my urban legislator counterparts have, have worked to understand what the rural issues are, and it's up to us to be able to explain those. I would say as we get more rural, there's maybe a, a more rugged individualism, which has strengths and drawbacks, um, but uh, that approach may be somewhat different than uh, the urban side. But uh, it's actually been a lot of fun for me so far getting out across the state and, and learning the great ideas and the great efforts that are being made uh, everywhere. So I think there are more similarities. Um, when I was in financial services in my uh, last years, I was based in the uh, Johnson County area. So I got to know that area somewhat, not as well as I know this one from, from being here lifelong, but certainly appreciated all that that area brings and offers. Um, and each one just offers different things. I think there are great things. I think there's great beauty in all of the areas as well, but, um, but, yeah, we're, we're a little more on our own out in the rural area and, and plan on uh, just having to deal with those and that probably the, the issues that come along and that probably leads us in our political pieces to tend to say, well, we'll just take care of ourselves and uh, that's the approach that we'll have where, our, uh, where other folks may have uh, more of a sense of, uh, uh, of what policies we can do together. And I, I do want to stress when, when there are issues that need to be addressed in the rural areas or the urban areas, I find that the people come together remarkably well um, to, to help meet those immediate and emergency needs. And I hope that continues to be a hallmark of Kansas. Yeah, that would be nice. It, there's redistricting that's coming about. We're going to, the state of Kansas is going to redraw its Kansas House, Kansas Senate, U.S. House boundaries of districts. And it looks like the population shift to urban centers has continued to accelerate. Are you concerned at all about maintaining representation of rural Kansas? There will be rural legislators, but their districts will just grow geographically, I think. Right. That's the expectation that the districts will grow. The number of, quote, rural legislators will shrink somewhat relative to the number of urban legislators. And that's that's uh, just a continual shift that we see. So the, the one-time redistricting probably won't be a sea change, but we're, we're definitely seeing that change 
over the decades as there are fewer and fewer uh, rural legislators. So um, thankfully, so far, I think our urban counterparts have continued to be interested in the best interests across the state. And we have to continue to make that case. If somebody was <clears throat> sitting on a picnic table someplace in a lovely park in Assyria, how, how do you think they would characterize you politically? Um, well, in Assyria, the I would be lucky enough that many of the folks would, would know me somewhat. And they would generally say that, that I'm very thoughtful and consider all of the information in coming to a decision about where, where to push a policy uh, or how to vote. Um, so in terms of uh, the fiscal side, um, I, I am conservative on spending. I'm very conservative on saying we have to be fiscally responsible in meeting what liabilities we have taken on. And I want to be careful of taking on more liabilities unless I am certain that we are committed to paying for them. Mm -hmm. um, and that's probably the, the key work that I focused on in the legislature. I once asked this of Jake LaTurner, who was treasurer before resigning to take a seat in the U.S. House. And the question was, why have an elective office of state treasurer? Why not let uh, an appointee in the Kansas Department of Administration handle this financial work with the college savings plan and, and the, and the um, unclaimed property and, and these other issues? They could hire you, could, they could hire you a, a, a competent, experienced person to do this. Why not? So that's a possibility. Um, I haven't looked at it from that standpoint. The, the piece that I would see the elected person having a responsibility for, as, as you talk to LearningQuest, I, I think we should have a hard look at what our expenses are in that system and how we hold those down so that the returns in the system can be uh, as good as possible for those that choose to invest. The unclaimed property, I don't know, there might be other ways that that could be structured to be effective in, in getting that out. Um, in overseeing the cash management, the bonding activities, the capers board, I think it is useful to have someone who is elected and, and responsible to, to the people on, on those decisions. Um, the administration division, it's possible, you know, you could delegate all of that to the budget director and the, the chairman of the budget committees in the legislature and, and do a lot of that work and at least have that oversight in one place. But I, I think as you look to say, okay, how, how do we make sure that, that uh, we're really, really focused on the best interest of the taxpayers and the entities that are there in most places, we do have that in, a, in an elected office. Maybe it's best to look at it from the somebody's in charge. There is a, there is the buck stops somewhere. You know, just think about legal affairs with the attorney general, the buck stops in Derek Schmidt's, <clears throat> Derek Schmidt's office. So, so maybe that applies to the state treasurer as well. It that, could. It is a good question in that across government, I think we always want to ask the question of, is this a function that we still need? Are there functions that can be combined, eliminated, reduced? Those are questions that we need to ask. Since the days of Lynn Jenkins, who was state treasurer more, more than 10 years ago before also moving on to Congress, um, state treasurers have 
made increasing use of this college savings program, which is supervised by the office, to get free publicity for themselves. And here's what I mean. Lynn Jenkins might have had her photograph on the back side of a, a brochure about the college savings program. Ron Estes, who was in the job, did a little bit less of this, but Jake LaTurner took it to a new level and cast his entire family in a television ad. So I can understand promoting these elements of the office, but there's also this line where it seems to be promoting the individual. So have you given much thought to this and what do you think about it all? I have thought about that some and, you know, whether or not it's uh, one person's face on the ad or, or an entire family, you know, Jake has a lovely family. It would just come down to what is the advertising budget. And I have wondered about that in a, on the advisory board, we saw the total expense ratio as we looked at the fund selection that was there. And I've wondered if there is a way to, um, reduce that overall expense load and, and leave that in the investors' pockets that are there. So I'll, I'll agree that there is a role to making people aware of the plan. And then I would also agree that the focus is making people aware of the plan and the opportunity and not as much who is the state treasurer. Stephen Johnson, are you ready for a long, long campaign? Because you're even just getting to the August primary, you're, you're more than a year out. Do you think it's too early or is this just the way things are? It is hard to know. Um, as I was at the Cuyahoga meeting out in Garden City, and as I, I had gone there, um, some of the folks who knew I was interested in running said, you know, if you're interested, it's, it's a long road for folks to get to know who the treasurer is. This is a down ballot race. Um, this, you know, talking about reamortizing capers isn't what people wake up in the morning excited to hear, <laughs> even though the impact is billions of dollars uh, and some right. of the larger impacts that we have. But um, they said, you need to get out and, and get going longer than I had had uh, originally thought when I began thinking about the mm -hmm. office. Um, surprisingly, it has been more fun than I thought it would be. I remember a couple of other candidates who told me that it was fun to get out and it really has been a pleasure just to get to know a little bit more about great leaders that we have across the state. So I look forward to that part. It is a lot of going and getting out uh, and um, a year plus out is a long route. So I, I don't disagree that it's plenty early, but uh, I, I appreciate everybody that's been in contact so far and look forward to those that I reach over the next several months. Yeah, I, I like your idea of getting out. I, as a reporter for 30 years, I've been able to drive around Kansas and go to many towns and counties and see things. And, and I, I think about it often. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to have done that instead of sitting in a cubicle in a newspaper office somewhere. So, well, yeah. Representative Johnson, do you have any concluding thoughts? What's your, what's your punchline of your stump speech? What's the, the pivotal comment that's going to get people to vote for you? Well, the, the key for me is just uh, why seeking the office, and that is the, both the legislative and the personal financial experience really lead to the skill set that is applied in the treasurer's office. And there's nothing that is particularly um, overwhelming in terms of, as you'd mentioned, that, that headline that people are going to want to read in every day. But one of the things that we are looking at is, is something we touched on at looking as we go through that budget, can we partner with other groups and look at finding areas where government can, rather than just paying the bills, say, 
can we sunset this? Can we take something and, and change what we do or how much we do along the way? And that's one of the pieces that I want to be able to add in addition uh, to that office. But um, the, the, the great thing that I think many people bring is just the experience from Kansas, from when we started to today. Uh, I know you've been in a lot of offices as well, all the way back to the K-State Collegian. And that's right. uh, that brings a great perspective. <laughs> it, it, it's occasionally going through a box at home, I, I find I ran across something I wrote when I was a reporter at the Kansas State Student Newspaper, and it's an alarming and also embarrassing. So, uh, <laughs> hopefully, you don't have any skeletons in your closet quite so awful as that. So, well, well I, um, I, I don't know of any, uh, but um, <laughs> but I, I doubt that yours are are awful. I'll bet there are actually some uh, some glimmers of brilliance throughout that as yeah, well. Right. Okay. We'll leave it at that. Uh, excellent. I want to thank Stephen Johnson, Representative Stephen Johnson of Assyria, a Republican who's a candidate for state treasurer. And uh, his, uh, we'll find out how that all pans out, uh, certainly by August 2022, when the primary election is held. I want to thank him for being with us on the Kansas Reflector. I'm Tim Carpenter. Thank you so much. <laughs>